All right, good morning, Salt City. My name is Jordan Adams. I'm the teaching and equipping pastor here. And I want to start out by just reading the text. So if you'd flip open to Matthew 7 with me, uh, I'm going to read Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's pretty wise advice from Jesus. Okay, uh, <clears throat> do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law in the prophets. All right. So there's a lot in there. We've got dogs. We've got pigs. We've got logs in people's eyes. Okay, we've, got, we've got a lot going on. And then I personally, I find a lot of this amusing. Personally, I find... Uh, most amusing is Jesus saying, do not judge, and then immediately calling people pigs. Um, it seems like a contradiction, but it's actually just brilliant. Uh, a lot of these things in this text at first strike you, like, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? But when you meditate on them, when you think on them, you see the brilliance of the teachings of Jesus. And he's just getting really practical with us today, and he's talking specifically about relationships. So he's going to talk about our relationships with believers. He's going to talk about our relationships with people who are antagonistic towards the gospel. He's going to talk about our relationship with God and the foundation of our relationship with God. And he's going to talk about our relationship with just everyone as a whole, just catch all everyone relationships. Okay. So we're talking about relationships this morning and I want to hit those categories. All right. So we're going to start with relationship with believers. So again, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Okay, this is a favorite verse for people who don't like Christianity. Uh, a lot of you have heard this quoted before to you as a Christian from someone who maybe isn't a Christian. And, and here's why, is because when Christians go to talk about Christian morality or when they try to interact in a Christian way in the public, public sphere, often what people will say is, hey, don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge people. Now question, is that what Jesus is saying here? That, that we as Christians can't ever make a moral judgment about how people should interact in the world or make any type of moral distinction between people. No, of course that's not what he's saying. Uh, part, part of the reason why we know that is because he's about to make a moral distinction among people. He's about to call people pigs and dogs. Jesus, uh, 
isn't always super restrained in some of the things that he says about people. He calls Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And so this is how we interpret questions in the Bible when we come across them, when they don't make sense to us, is we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And so when it says, do not judge, what we know that can't mean is you can't ever make any type of moral distinction between people because Jesus himself doesn't apply his own teaching like that. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we should not be the type of people who are defined by judgmentalism. Now, my guess is very few of us in this room were just convicted by that. Isn't it interesting that all of us know judgmental people, but none of us think we are judgmental people? Uh, So let me just rename this a little bit. Instead of calling it judgmentalism, let's call it criticism. Now, some of the names that maybe you guys use for criticism is that you just have high standards, all right? Or you're just telling people straight. You, maybe you're a perfectionist. Maybe you're just sharing some opinions. Those are some of the names that you give to criticism. Here's the name that I would like to give it, according to the Bible, sin. Okay? So let's talk about criticism. I think we're seeing this come out a lot in our culture right now. Um, one of the primary ways that we're seeing it come out is with COVID. And so depending on where you land with this, maybe you feel more comfortable with risk and you've got your pet statistics that you use in order to point fingers at people who are more conservative than you and to talk about why it's okay for you to take more risks within COVID. Or maybe vice versa. Maybe you're remarkably conservative with COVID, which is fine and and is very possibly the right decision for you and your family. But where things start to go wrong is when you point fingers at someone else who's maybe taking a slightly different approach than you. And maybe you become accusatory of them and their life and make these generalizing statements about a lack of care for human life. And so we, we turn ourselves into the judge and jury of anyone who comes from a different perspective than we do. Or maybe for you, criticism comes out a little bit in this community. Maybe it comes out in church. So maybe you hear some of the things that are said from stage or some of the decisions that are made within church, but maybe you spend a decent amount of the time as well wondering why those decisions were made or critiquing what's being said. Or maybe more specifically, it comes out in connection group. Maybe there's some weird people in your connection group. All right, let's just own it. That happens. Okay, again, it's interesting how we all know weird people in our connection group never think we are the one. But um, so maybe there's some weird people in your connection group. And maybe that frustrates you. And so you spend connection group thinking about someone's response or the way that someone's acting or whatever. And you go home, instead of thinking about Jesus, you're thinking about the people in your connection group that frustrate you. Or maybe your leader isn't leading the way that you would lead connection group. Or maybe they're not making COVID decisions the way that you would make COVID decisions within connection group. Or we all are familiar with this idea um, of how sort of awful people can become to each other online. And that there's something about people interacting online that they say things that they would never say in person. 
And I think that is true, but there's also another observation that I think we've got to make is often the people that we're closest with, we almost have that same issue with. So for some of you, you've said things to your spouse or said them in a way that you never would have dreamed of saying before you knew them this well. Or maybe for a a roommate, there's a tone that you take with them because you have a certain level of familiarity that seems fine, but if you were to step back from that, it's the same thing that's happening online. Now, why have you become so comfortable with criticizing someone who's so close to you in your life? Well, because you've gotten to know every aspect of their life, and you've become a judge and jury over their life, and it's become normal, and once you start criticizing, it's really difficult to stop. You've got to keep feeding that criticism monster inside of you, and so it keeps going. There's a commentary that I was reading that defined a judgmental person like this. He puts the worst possible construction on another person's motives and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Isn't that so easy? Guys, I do this all the time. Where I look at someone else's mistakes and I'm sort of shocked and amazed by it as if that was surprising that a human being would make a mistake. Why are we so ready to justify and downplay our own mistakes, but so ready to just kill people when they make a mistake. Here's what criticism is at the end of the day. It's putting yourself in, in the place of God to judge another human being. You, you're elevating yourself above that person and you're declaring what's true about them. But the problem is, What Jesus says about that is that it's hypocrisy because all of us are human beings. None of us have the ability to appropriately judge another human being fully. None of us have enough knowledge to be able to fully come to a conclusion about why someone is making the decisions that they're making, yet we assume that we have enough of that knowledge. And so we play God, but it's actually hypocrisy because we're all doing the same thing. Now, what this doesn't mean is that there's never anything to criticize in someone else, but there's often this disproportionate criticism because we're blinded by our own hypocrisy is what Jesus says. Here's why. Because we've got a two-by-four sticking out of our eye, right? Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Okay, notice there is a speck in the brother's eye. It's not that people never make mistakes, and it's not that we as Christians never should help them by taking the speck out of their eye, but we've got to do something else first. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So next time you get frustrated with someone thinking about their speck, all right, we get it, it's there, maybe just think about your log first. All right, relationship with believers. Now, relationship with people who are antagonistic towards the gospel. All right, so while we're not supposed to be judgmental, we're also not supposed to be undiscerning and completely naive as Christians. That's what verse 6 is talking about. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, so that's a little bit difficult to understand. So let's just take a second and unpack what Jesus is saying here. First, 
What's this pearl that he's referring to? Well, this isn't the only time in the book of Matthew that Jesus refers to a pearl. He says it again in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. He says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this pearl of value is the kingdom of God. And this illustration that Jesus is talking about is what it's like to discover the kingdom of God. That when you see the kingdom for what it really is, you see its infinite worth and significance where it's natural for you to go and sell everything that you have, to give up everything in your life so that you can gain that kingdom, and it doesn't feel like you're giving up anything because you're gaining so much in the kingdom of Jesus because it's that unbelievably beautiful and valuable. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So back to Matthew 7, when Jesus is talking about the pearl, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. What's he talking about there? Well, I think he's talking about uh, feeding pigs, essentially. And so the way that you would feed, a farmer would feed pigs, is he would take some grain or some feed, and he would throw it out to the pigs. And so Jesus is saying, there are people in this world who are only living by their appetite. And they're simply trying to satisfy some desires in their life. Maybe it's a desire for happiness. Maybe it's a desire for friendship. Maybe it's a desire to get rid of some guilt in their life, but they're just looking to satisfy their appetite. And so if you go to people like that and you just toss them the kingdom of God, they will try to just consume it. They'll try to just make the kingdom of God satisfy their appetites, but it's not food like that. And so instead of it satisfying them, they'll choke on it. And will understandably be very frustrated. And so Jesus here is not pointing the finger at the people who are acting more like pigs or dogs. He's pointing the finger at the person who's throwing a pearl in front of a pig. So this is the teaching of Jesus. He's saying don't throw the kingdom of God at people who aren't yet ready to hear it. Don't shove it down people's throats who God hasn't really brought them to that place yet. I remember in college... I met Jesus. I got really excited about sharing the gospel. So I went down a couple uh, rooms on my dorm floor, and I just walked in on a few of my uh, fellow dorm floor friends. Well, they weren't really friends yet. They were playing video games, and I just rolled in and made some sort of awkward transition and then just gospel bombed them and just made this, like, awkward presentation and they were like playing call of duty and they were still like holding their controllers just looking at me like what's happening and then I just dropped it on them and then I just kind of stood there and it was awkward so then I just left and my CA like witnessed this whole thing and he was a Christian and he kind of threw his arm around me he's like hey you might want to become friends with them first like you might want to think about this a little bit and here was my response like well maybe you just should be more bold with the gospel and I just kind of dismissed it I had never read this verse and he was right he was encouraging me towards something biblical and I later learned to be a little bit more chill with my gospel presentation to invest in someone's life and to pray for them and as God brought them to a place where they could hear the gospel 
then to start speaking the gospel to them. So what do you do if there's someone in your life like this, someone who is just antagonistic towards Christianity? Does this mean that you just completely abandon them? No. Here's what you do. You pray for them. Next relational category, relationship with God. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that as Jesus is talking about prayer, he's giving commands. So it doesn't just say, if you want to ask, God will listen. He says, ask, seek, knock. And then he repeats himself again. God's giving commands because he's so invested in giving you good things that he commands you to ask him for them. Guys, God loves it when you pray. He loves it. Like when you bow your head to go before the king, heaven starts to lean in. God's elbowing the angels like, hey, watch this. My kids are going to ask me for something, and I'm going to come through for them. That's God's attitude towards prayer. And we tend, though, to think about God like he's a begrudging parent. Kind of like the parent that goes into a convenience store with their kid, and the kid asks for a piece of candy, and maybe the parent goes, Fine, but just don't ask me again. This is what it's like to go into the candy store of heaven with God, is God's like, take anything you want. Just put out your arm and just rake it into your shopping cart. I want to give you everything. Everything that I have, I want you to have. That's the type of parent that God is. He's remarkably generous. Listen, this is what I'm saying. The infinite storehouses of God's eternal goodness are at your disposal as a Christian. And he is anticipating you, asking him for everything that he has. And he is ready to dish out his goodness on your life. All you have to do is ask him. Why in the world would you not take advantage of that? One of the things I've started to see in my own life is one of the greatest roots of hypocrisy in my life is my own prayerlessness. Because I claim to believe that God is good and that he's powerful and that he loves answering prayers, and yet there's still deep prayerlessness in my own life. And there's an incredible contradiction there. And I think some of the problem is, is that we're nervous that God will not have the willingness or the ability to come through for us when we pray. So a little warning here, <clears throat> I've got a, a Santa illustration, and there's some spoilers. So if you're watching with kids, you know, do what you wish there, or if you're an adult that hasn't dealt with the Santa thing yet, you know, just do what you got to do. Okay, so <clears throat> growing up, we had, this, uh, we had this ornament on our Christmas tree as a family that was like an answering machine. You guys remember answering machines? Um, so it was an answering machine, but it was, a, it was Santa's answering machine. 
And so what you would do is you would walk up to the tree and you would push this button and Santa would talk and it would, it, it, I, I still remember it. It was like, ho, 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 I'm out checking on my sleigh right now, but be sure to leave your Christmas wishes. Wait for the jingle bells. And then there was jingle bells. Yeah, I still, I didn't know I had that. It's still in there. And uh, so you would, you would leave this message for Santa about what you wanted for Christmas. And so it was this really clever way for parents to hear what their kids want for Christmas, all right? And so I loved this thing, and so I would always, like, leave a message of what I wanted for Christmas. But there was this one year where I wanted something bigger, and I started to get really nervous that even if I asked for it, maybe it wasn't going to actually happen. And so I'd walk up to the tree, and I would push the button, And I would stand there and wait, and I would try and get myself psyched up, and then I'm like, I can't do it. I can't ask for this, because it might not happen. And I would just leave. And I kept doing that over and over again. And what I didn't know is that my dad was in the other room intently listening, because he wanted to get me whatever I wanted for Christmas. And so I was getting frustrated that I wasn't going to get what I wanted for Christmas. And my dad was in the other room frustrated because he really wanted to get me whatever I wanted, but I refused to ask him. That's what we're like with prayer. Is God is on the other line directly waiting to be asked to give you a good thing as a good dad. And we're getting frustrated because we're nervous to really ask him because what if he doesn't come through? And he's lovingly frustrated because he wants so badly to have that relationship with you and for you to have the courage to ask him. And he watches you not ask. We've got to believe in God's goodness and his desire to be a good dad to us. Verse 9. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? All right, notice that if you, even though you're evil, okay, it's just like right to the point, but if you, even though you're evil, give good gifts... Like, if human beings know how to give good things to their kids, of course God knows how to give good things to his kids. How much more would God give good things to his kids? Now, some of you might be thinking that you can think of plenty of things that you've asked God for that he hasn't given you. And here's why. is because God's a good dad. No parent gives their kid whatever their kid wants. Why? Because parents love their kids. And so what do parents do with the questions that their kids ask? They filter them and they say yes to the things that are good or, and no to the things that are bad and sometimes wait to the things that aren't the right timing. And God is similar to that. We would live in a terrible world if God just gave us whatever we asked He knows what we need. He knows what's good. And so he encourages us to ask. And then in his genius, 
He manipulates every circumstance for our good through our prayers. As I was so struck by what Beth said. In some senses, her perspective could be, I've asked God for healing, and he hasn't healed me. But did you catch what her perspective was? I've asked God for healing, and he's healed me. Maybe not exactly the way that she expected, but her confidence was full in Christ. She sees all the ways that God is being good to her through this moment, that he's strengthening her and lifting her up through this challenge in her life. That is the right perspective on prayer. And she keeps praying, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because she believes it actually works. Because in God's sovereignty, somehow, prayer actually does something in the world. And so Beth keeps praying, and she keeps asking for prayer. Man, I I just, I want this so bad for our church. One of the primary things that I'm praying for our church is that we would become a church of prayer. Not only in this gathering, but of individual prayer. And that, guys, what would it be like if some of us just got together exclusively to pray? To pray for our church. To pray for unity in our church. To pray for salvation in our church. To pray for our city. To pray for our world. What if you got out a map and started praying for different countries around the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ would come? What would God do with faith like that? What if we became a church like that? I've been reading a book on on prayer called The Kneeling Christian. It's, It's by an unknown author. But I just wanted to share a couple quotes with you from it. Today he sits on the throne of his majesty on high and he holds out to us the scepter of his power. Shall we touch it and tell him our desires? I love this. He bids take of his treasure. He yearns to grant us according to the riches of his glory. He wants you to take from his treasure. Listen to this one. Satan laughs at our toiling, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Will we pray as a church? All right, next, our relationship with everyone else. Talked about relationship with believers, relationship with people antagonistic to the gospel, the foundation of our relationship with God, which is prayer. And then lastly, our relationship with everyone else. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. All right, so you guys have heard this before. It's the golden rule. It's one of the the foundational principles of Christianity. And there have been several other iterations of the golden rule throughout history, but they're almost always um, phrased negatively. So they typically say something like, Don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you, which is still a really good idea, but it it essentially boils down to don't hate people, don't hurt people. But what I love about Jesus' statement is that it's positive, which means that we can have this endlessly creative love towards other people. Think about all the ways that you would like to be loved by people all the ways that you would like to be thanked, all the ways that you would like to be appreciated, all the ways that you would like to be understood and loved. 
Jesus says, go do all of those things for other people. What a beautiful picture of what Christians should be like, of what the world should be like. And so combining this with what else we've talked about, maybe the takeaway from today is not just don't be critical of other people, but maybe it's also appreciate those people that you have been critical of. Find ways to thank them, find ways to serve them, find ways to love them. Now, this is such an incredible idea, but also do you realize how insanely hard this is? Like, what would it take to live your life like this? You would have to sacrifice everything in your life. You would have to give up all of your rights in order to benefit and serve other people. You wouldn't be able to spend time trying to get what you want in your life. You would give your energy, your time, your mind, everything towards serving and loving other people. Which is, in theory, a really nice, fluffy, good idea. Just incredibly hard. And no human beings are actually like that. Let's call it what it is. Even with people that are most important in our lives, we tend to use them. We tend to use people that we have the deepest relationship with in order to benefit ourselves. And we can't stop being like that as a human being because human beings just take from other human beings. Every human being except for one. Jesus Christ was the only human being who ever lived who never took and always gave. Here's what's so amazing about Jesus. He does not need anything from you because he is completely full in the goodness of relationship that he has with his father. And so he just gives. And so what's true of your relationship with him is you have never given Jesus anything that he needed and he has always given you everything that you've needed. And Jesus has perfectly lived the golden rule towards every human being. Like Jesus has given you everything that you ever could wish that someone would give you. And in fact, he's given you more than that. He's given you things that you never even would have thought to wish that someone would give you. An inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. That you get to share in the divine nature of God. This is what Jesus did. Is he said what he loves is he loves his relationship with his father. And so he said, I'm going to go make a way that human beings could get in on my relationship with my father. And so he came to earth, became like a human being so that he could relate to us, willingly walked to a cross, and then rose from the dead so that he could hand us new resurrected life so that we could have life with God forever. Now God calls us a friend. God loved his relationship. Jesus loved his relationship with God the Father, and he wanted us to be able to be in on it. And so he treated us the way that he wished that he would have been treated. And he never received that type of love back from us, but he still gave that type of love to us. And here's what's so amazing is that he's alive, which means so much for us. But one of the things that that means is that 
that remarkable love is not only a historical fact, it is a historical fact, but it's more than that. He's alive right now, and so every day of your life, Jesus is using his creative goodness and genius in order to bring about good in your life, in order to bring love to you. He's unleashing his genius love on your life every waking moment of your life forever into eternity if you're a Christian. That's Jesus applying the golden rule. And that's Jesus living out everything that we just talked about. Let's look back at what we just talked about. Jesus didn't judge or criticize. He didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. How easy would it have been to criticize and judge the world if you, if you were in his place? But he chose not to do that, but to lay himself down, to humble himself down, to elevate the rest of us. Jesus didn't shove the gospel down our throats when we weren't ready for it. But he started to transform our hearts in order to see the beauty and the goodness of the gospel so that we would be ready to accept it and come to know the Father. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus is still praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf before the Father. And he loves us and he continues to love us the exact way that he has been loved by his Father. Because that is the pearl of the kingdom of heaven. That is the most significant and beautiful thing in this world. And I want to just finish by asking you, have you seen how beautiful that is? Have you seen how valuable it is to the point that you look at your life and say, of course I would give anything for that. Of course I would give up my selfishness. Of course I would give up my judgmentalism and my criticism. Of course I would give up my prayerlessness so that I could have that, the kingdom of heaven, the love of the eternal son of God. Of course that's worth it. Of course giving up anything else in my entire life to get that is worth it. That's not a loss, that's gain. Have you seen that? Or are you still just trying to quench some appetite in your soul? Or are you trying to use the gospel to get rid of some guilt? Or to make some friends? Or to make you feel like you're a decent person? Or, or to please your parents because you grew up around Christianity? Are you still just trying to satisfy an appetite with the gospel? Because you're, it's not going to fill you up. You're going to choke on it. See the beauty of what Jesus is offering you. And see that he went before you and lived this life that he's described. And in his love, he's given you the power to start loving other people the way that he has. Let's pray. Jesus, I am, uh, again, I'm stunned by the Sermon on the Mount. Your teaching is amazing. It's just, it's, it's genius. It's so good. And, and we just want to agree with you and say, yeah, if we lived like this, life would be better. It'd be better for us. It'd be better for the people around us. Um, but it's really hard for us to live like this. 
because we forget how much you love us. And so we think that we've got to go and secure love for ourselves. And we're sorry for that, God. We repent of that in our unbelief and just ask, would you help us believe? Help us believe that you love us so that we would be deeply satisfied in your love and can stop taking from other people and can give out of the overflow of the love that you've given us. We trust you, Jesus. We're, we're thankful to be in your presence this morning. We love you. Amen.